Hello, and welcome to the Applicant Podcast. I'm Rebecca Tripp, and today I have Brian Ald with me. So Brian, thank you so much for joining today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, uh, Rebecca. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you, thank you. Well, why don't we start off by you quickly introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, I guess uh, the important things to know about me is that I'm a lifelong learner and a lifelong educator. Uh, we all say that, but I truly mean that. Uh, I've been in education my whole life, really. So as a student and then uh, right out of university, uh, took a, a quick break, but then went into education. I did a, uh, a BA at Western and then I did my B ed at Queens. Uh, I did an MED at uh, Brock University, which interestingly enough, I'm now teaching in the master's program. Uh, of course, uh, it ends in a couple of weeks. And then I took all I've, I guess my, my distinction is I'm all but dissertation for an EDD uh, through OISE. It just, uh, life got busy and uh, I haven't been able to complete it yet. I've uh, been married for 34 years. I have two kids. Uh, who I think are both lifelong learners as well, and they're both lawyers. Uh, and my spouse of 34 years is, uh, is involved in social work. So uh, well-rounded and, uh, and that's, that's where we are today, really. <laughs> yeah, so you've had quite an interesting career so far. You, you did explain your education and I appreciate that. That in itself is very interesting. Um, but can you walk us through the various positions and responsibilities that you've held throughout the year and, and throughout the years in your career? Sure. Uh, I started after taking a year off in the family travel business and realizing that I didn't want to spend my life working with my parents. Um, I decided to do my B.Ed. at Queens and I did that in intermediate senior and history and drama. And uh, immediately after I graduated in 87, um, I applied to a must, it felt like 200 or 300 different schools and school boards, yeah. received absolutely no response. The market was really saturated. Uh, I ended up getting an interview sort of through the back door at Upper Canada College in Toronto. Uh, I had hoped to do a high school uh, English uh, course, but they needed somebody at the prep school, which was grade seven and eight English. I applied, turns out that the head of the department played squash with my high school vice principal. And uh, I haven't looked back since. I uh, spent 13 years in various positions, teaching positions, head of department, uh, English department, guidance department, head of hockey at UCC. Uh, and then looking around and realizing that there weren't a lot of opportunities because all of the positions that would be coming up in terms of administration uh, would be taken by people who were just a little bit more senior than me. It was a good crop of candidates. So I took the opportunity and I applied to Ridley College in St. Catharines, a boarding school, and moved the family there. We were there for seven years. Uh, where I was the head of the middle school, which was grades five, six, seven, and eight, responsible for everything. We did a six and a half million dollar building campaign. Uh, we renovated the boarding facilities. We started a new chapel program. And uh, most importantly, I think for my kids, we did a, an exchange to Paris, France, and both my kids were lucky enough to be selected. No nepotism. I had nothing to do with the decision-making <laughs> process. Um, 
And then after seven years, we decided to move back to Toronto. And uh, I took a job originally at Bayview Glen, which is a, a day school in Toronto that goes from preschool to grade 12. I initially took a job as the head of the lower school, which had been uh, preschool to grade five. Uh, but before I took up that position, I was asked to run and head up the prep school, which was grades six, seven, and eight. Did that for three years. And then I was asked to look after the high school, uh, which is nine to 12. And uh, I did that for, I guess, uh, eight years. Um, and then uh, on the instigation of friends and family, uh, decided I'd go out on my own. And that's where I find myself today as a consultant. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in 2020, you founded Ald Educational Consultants. Um, that obviously did not happen overnight as, as basically you just explained. Um, but how did you get it started? And what are your hopes for your still relatively new business? So in February of 2019, I finally took the advice of friends and family who said, you know, Brian, you've taken some time off from a, a real job. Uh, why don't you look, you know, you really should work with kids and families, but work for them on your own and do some consulting. Mm -hmm. So February 2019, sounded like a great idea. Uh, went online and set up a website and got business cards and got letterhead and all that and hung out my shingle. And then in March 2019, we all know what happened. Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, no, excuse me. It would have been February 2020. Right. Uh, and then COVID came uh, very soon after in March 2020. So, uh, First of all, I'm completely out of my, my comfort zone by going out on my own. And then we're dealing with a pandemic. Uh, and I'm now an entrepreneur, which I've never done really anything entrepreneurial in my life. So uh, it was a quick change. Uh, you know, everything went from in person and I was doing a lot of coffees and a lot of networking and that immediately turned to online coffees and online networking. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the business started off like everybody else during COVID slowly and it looked differently than I had anticipated it would look. But uh, interestingly, a lot of people, as we know, a lot of kids are going through and dealing with a lot of issues in terms of online learning, uh, anxiety, depression, things like that. And although I'm not a counselor, uh, having spent over 30 years dealing with kids, uh, I can to a certain degree, uh, deal with kids on that emotional level and that psychological level. So I've been doing a lot more of that uh, than I have actually counseling in terms of applications or school selection. So it's a bit of a twist, but a very enjoyable one because I really enjoy working with kids and their families. Um, so I've been doing that. And for the future, I mean, I look to be busier than I am now. Uh, but not too busy. I love the fact, I love my boss now. I, it's the first time in my career I can honestly say I found a boss who understands me and gets me. Yeah. Uh, so I love that aspect of it. Um, I love the idea of setting my own hours and working when and, you know, and how I want. Uh, it's really the same, only, only a little bit different. Uh, and I'm really enjoying that. So really just being a little bit busier uh, every day is a new challenge, not unlike being a principal. Uh, 
and uh, for example, right now I'm dealing with some real estate agents. I'm dealing with you. Uh, you know, lots of different calls are coming from areas that I hadn't anticipated, and I think that's going to be an interesting aspect of it too. Is is growing the business in ways I don't really know, uh, and it just sort of happens. So it's very fluid, uh, and uh, but very exciting, very enjoyable. Yeah. Well, that's the great thing about entrepreneurship is that every day is different and you don't sometimes know where things are going, which is, which is the, the best part of it. Um, so you've worked with a lot of students throughout the years. Um, what advice do you have for those wanting to pursue post-secondary education, but they aren't really sure where to even start? I think the most important thing is to, to realize that at the end of the day, it's not about a job, it's about an education. Mm -hmm. And some of us find that education uh, in the trades, some of us find it in a four-year degree, some of us find it in a four-year degree and then a master's degree. Mm -hmm. But I think the idea of going into it, I've never been one to even say, if you're gonna go into business, have an idea what that business uh, education is going to look like. Go into it with an open mind that you're going to get a, a commerce degree or you're going to get a business degree, but don't go into it assuming, you know, you're going to start a travel agency or you're going to go into consulting or you're going to do, let it happen a little bit more fluidly and really enjoy the process. I think knowing that it's not a race, or uh, excuse me, it's not a, uh, you know, it's, it's not a sprint, it's more of a marathon yeah. and that too many kids feel that that decision that they make in grade 12 put a stamps on the, put a, puts a stamp on them for the rest of their life. And you know what? They're going to be an educator. They're going to be a lawyer. They're going to be a doctor. Well, hello. We all know, first of all, historically, that wasn't the case. But now even more so, there's a lot more gig work out there. There's a lot more contract work out there. There's a lot more consulting work out there. And I think the days of people getting a job right out of university and anticipating that that's going to be their career. I think that's over. Um, so I think that what people have to do is they have to look at where their interests are. Mm -hmm. um, you hear a lot of people talking about your passion. I'm, I'm hard pressed to say that because I think at 18 or 17, when you're applying for university, it's hard to say, this is my passion. Uh, but if you know what your interests are, you can build on that. So if you're interested in music, you know, not a lot of people are going to make a living in the music business as a musician. So maybe a degree in business where you can continue to use your music uh, as, a, as an avenue, but you might be able to get into the business side of it. Or perhaps you become a performer, but again, it's better to have a little bit of an idea, a little bit of savvy about the business world, and that can help you become a better musician and a better professional. Same thing with everything. Don't just, um, don't just stereotype yourself or put yourself into a bit of a box. Look around, ask everybody you know about where they are, how they got there. And I think what you'll find is everybody's journey is so unique and very few of us take a linear journey. You know, lots of us decide we're going to do something uh, and then life just happens. So, you know, uh, keep that in mind. Uh, ask everybody you know about what they're doing, how, what school they went to, uh, why they chose that school, and really get as much knowledge as you can about the second post-secondary process and really leverage that 
and make the decision that's best for you. And of course, if you need help, that's when you call a great consultant like me and I can then help you narrow the focus. But you don't necessarily need a, a, a consultant. Use your guidance counselors, use your teachers, use people that you know in professions that you're interested in and really get all the information. You can never have too much uh, intelligence about what you're trying to do next. For those of you that aren't watching, I've been nodding my head yes <laughs> <laughs> this whole time. And it just, it speaks to me on so many different levels. Um, I've graduated from five post-secondary educational programs now. And wow. when I was in high school, I did not know what I wanted to do. And I too thought that, you know, the program that I would enter into right after high school was that stamp uh, that is my career for the rest of my life. And, and you're right, it's never linear. It never will be linear. Um, and I just, I agree with so much with, with what you're saying. And it really is, it, it's a process. Um, you know, it's, it's blocks that pile up one on top of the other. Um, and the more well, people you can talk to and, and the more resources you have, the better. Well, and as you say yourself, and I failed to mention this, you'll apply to schools and you'll get an acceptance and you'll go there, but you may change courses, you may change degrees, you may change campuses, you may change schools. And that doesn't label you anything, it just means that's part of the process. Uh, what I always, not warn, but I remind kids is, by the time you get into second year, you're gonna look around and you're gonna be taking classes with first year, third year, fourth year, fifth year, seven year people. Everybody's journey is different. Very few of us do the post-secondary thing in four years, immediately get into a degree and say, this is it. Most of us take and drop courses. Most of us change uh, our, our, our uh, majors or our minors. Uh, you know, we, we move around and that's just the reality of it. So I think being open to that change and that very fluidity, uh, I think is really important. And especially you would understand that five different post-secondary degrees. Yep. <laughs> one of these days you'll get it right, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they luckily have piled one on top of another and they all complemented each other well. Um, but I mean, year one, I had no idea that, you know, five programs later and now I'm finally where I want to be. So, so you're, you're so right on just so many levels. Yeah. And 17, as I said before, knowing at 17, or if you're starting in grade nine, if you're going to an American school or something, knowing when you're 14, what you're going to do until you're 65 or so, you know, people shouldn't look that way. People should understand, as you say, that it's a process, it's a journey, it takes time, you'll get there eventually. Absolutely, yeah. So are there any tips that you have for high school students wanting to become successful applicants at their dream university or college? So first of all, I would say work hard from grade nine uh, on, uh, because if you're thinking of American schools or you're thinking of British schools or overseas schools, lots of them start, especially the American schools, they start to look at your marks from grade nine on. So if you wake up in grade 12 and say, oh, I wanna to go to Harvard, chances are you might've missed the boat in terms of the language prerequisite, the advanced placement prerequisites, uh, or even the marks, because you, know, you, you, you fiddled around in grade nine and grade 10 and you thought you know, only grade 12 matters. 
and then you leave yourself with with the inability to put forth a good application. So I would say, as hard as it is to realize this, everything counts from grade nine on. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, that doesn't even matter if you're not thinking of the states. You build the study skills. Uh, you start to look around at the areas that are of interest to you. And it's better to do that in grade nine and 10, where everything is pretty much prescribed, certainly in Ontario. But by the time you get to 11 and 12, you've tried different courses, you've figured out hopefully what you're interested in and what you're good at. And that way, when you have a little bit more opportunity to, to open your horizons uh, in grade 11 and 12 and take different courses, you have a better idea. And it's, it's a little bit of a less hit and miss scenario for you. So I would say work hard from day one, get involved. Uh, and when I say get involved, I mean co-curriculars, Get involved in sports teams, either play or manage. Get involved in clubs and build your resume so that in grade nine, you're a member of the drama club and maybe in grade 12, you're the head of the drama club. Because again, you go back to the universities and they look to see commitment, but they look to see progression. It's great if you were in the band for four years, but it's even better if you were a section head in grade 12, or you did something interesting in terms of the soccer team. Uh, volunteering, it's amazing. It's not only good for you and good for your community, but it looks amazing on a resume. Mm -hmm. And again, in Ontario, you need 40 hours, but aim high, aim for 100 hours or more. Uh, there's lots of awards, which again, look great on university applications for kids who do a lot of uh, volunteer work. There's the Lieutenant Governors and the Governor General's awards for these sorts of things. That can also enable you to get scholarships uh, for your volunteer work, or perhaps you're going to work at some place or do volunteer work at a place that offers scholarship opportunities for the volunteers. So getting, getting involved, helping, giving back, I mean, as I say, it's mandated, but you should really do it because it's good for you. It's good for your resume. It's good for your community. I would also say really enjoy yourself. The four years goes by so quickly. The same thing when you get to university. You know, grade nine is over before you know it. Grade 10, and all of a sudden you're picking university courses in grade 11 and 12 and going on tour. So really enjoy the process and know that it goes by really quickly. So that's why work hard from the beginning, get involved from the beginning, really take the bull by the horns for those four years, because you don't want to wake up as a lot of my clients do in the fall of grade 12 and say, hi, Brian, um, I'd like to go to Harvard, or I'd like to go to Oxford, uh, or I'd like to go to Queens Commerce, but I really haven't done anything for four years in, in high school. And you can't backdate experience. So yeah. get involved. Even if you have no idea what it is you want to do, the more you do, the better your resume, the better an applicant you will become. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you've worked in the educational industry for a few years now, we'll say. Yeah, a few. <laughs> um, is there anything uh, that you would change in the educational industry with a wave of the wand, if, if you could? I would blow it all up and start fresh. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing is that we've all been to school, and if you were to come to 2022 from the 1800s or the 1900s 
everything about the world would look different. Cars look different. You might not have had cars. Boats look different. There's, there's uh, ships going to Mars and there's planes and all of this. But if you walked into a school, it probably looks exactly the same as it did when you were in school in the 1800s or the 1700s. So yes, things are a little bit different. There's computers, there's laptops and all that, but the physical shell of what school looks like is pretty similar. And I think that speaks to, continues to be how we educate kids. Um, there's not a lot of synchronicity between the, uh, the pre-secondary and secondary and post-secondary. Mm -hmm. Universities look very similar, and yet they're not changing as quickly as high schools are. When kids are sitting on laptops, for example, for four years in high school, and then they get off to university and it's back to pen and paper, or they can have a laptop, but they're writing their exams with a pen, most of these kids haven't held a pen in their hand for more than 10 minutes, and yet we're asking them to sit a three or a four hour written exam. So a little bit more consistency and synchronicity. I think looking at the fact that the business world has changed, but again, universities and colleges, although they're shifting, haven't changed. Similarly, high school is the same as it was when I went 40 years ago, and probably the same as when you went will say a lot more recently than me. Um, so I think we need to modernize, we need to adjust, we need to adapt more. Um, you know, you go into a classroom today, I did a presentation for my master's kids yesterday, my master's class, and one of the pictures I showed was a class from the 1800s and everybody was sitting in rows, hands up, and then a picture from 2022, everybody sitting in rows with their hands up. Okay, they had laptops, but it was pretty much the same. And we're not leveraging the technology, we're using it, it's in classrooms, but you know, schools talk about they've got whiteboards. Well, the whiteboards tend to just be used like blackboards. The only difference is you're using markers instead of chalk. So integrating technology, uh, modernizing the process of education and more individualization as well. I know it's hard, but in theory, when you're a teacher, for example, when I had 22 kids looking at me in an English class, I had to realize that I had 22 different learners there. And the best way, although it's hard, the best way is to teach to each of their learning styles. We still don't do that. We should have a learning plan for every individual and we should as much as possible, as best as possible, and it's a hard job, I realize it, but we should be teaching to the strengths and the weaknesses of the individual learner. And that's something that we do, don't do well. So really those sorts of things and also get rid of standardized tests. Um, whether that's for university with the SAT or the ACT or law school with the LSAT, both my kids went to, to law school in, in Edinburgh, Scotland because they didn't wanna write the LSAT. Because as many people will tell you, the LSAT does nothing to prepare you to be a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, it tells you that you are a good LSAT writer, a good standardized test writer, but I know a lot of very successful lawyers who just inched by, uh, barely passed the LSAT, got into school, uh, and that's the last time you use a lot of those skills. So really, we're not a standardized world, so I can't understand why we have standardized tests. So those would be sort of my quick fixes, besides blowing the whole system up. 
<laughs> you're, you're right in the sense that, you know, every individual is different. Everyone learns differently. So the idea, and, and I've never really thought of it before, but you're right. Like going back to the early 1900s and then looking at a classroom today, it looks the exact same. There's rows, there's, you know, you put your hand up to answer a question. Um, and it just doesn't match our modern world now. No. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And the other thing is, it's it's interesting, but so not only is it not standardized, but the reality is that we go and we get kids who are exceptional or have learning issues, and we have them go see a psychoeducationalist or get a psychoeducational assessment to understand how they learn. Well, why don't we do that for everybody? Because mm -hmm. if it's good for the kids who are really bright, and if the kids who have some learning challenges, if it's good for them, well, it's good for the kids who don't struggle. And to be told that, you know, you should sit at the front of the class, or you should sit on the left side of the class, or you should be more involved, or you have a slight auditory learning issue, or you learn better kinesthetically. If I had that blueprint as a student, and I was able to not only say to my teacher, this is who I am as a learner, but as myself, when I sit down and understand if I learn how I learn, I'm going to be a much better learner. And I think it's good for, as I say, weaker kids. It's good for stronger kids. It's good for everybody. So I think that's something that we should look into. Again, I get the logistics of it. And yeah. as a teacher at the front of the class saying, okay, I've got 22 kids and I've got to teach 22 different ways. You don't really, you just adjust it and you make sure that every activity you know, there aren't really 22 different learners in the class. Some will be kinesthetic learners, some will be audio learners, some will be verbal learners. So you can group them together, but I think grouping them in smaller groups than just, you know, the top of the class, the middle of the class, and the bottom of the class is, is a much better way to go about doing it. Absolutely. And it, it also can transform into how do you approach your career? If you learn from an early age that you're a kinesthetic learner, maybe it makes more sense to get into the trades versus sitting in a classroom and going to university. Um, and, and I couldn't stress enough how important it is to look at careers on, on a level playing field. University isn't better for some people versus trades or college. It, it depends on who you are, what you're interested in, um, how you learn, and, and really like where is your career going to go in a way that makes you happy? Because I think that's the goal at the end of the day, right? Is that you're in a career that you're thriving in. And if you were able to, you know, take a step back and learn about those different kind of learning styles and what you're interested or passionate about early on, it, it could make such a difference for your career moving forward. Absolutely. Well, definitely. And, and the notion that as you say, that trades are, are not as, as good as you know, a university degree. Tell me that when you try to get a plumber or an electrician, they make a lot of money, yeah. you can't get them for months. And so there, it goes back to what I said earlier. So maybe go and get a business degree and then go into a trade and you can run your own plumbing business or your own electrical business. So there's lots of opportunities to combine them. And more and more community colleges are offering degrees mm -hmm. in areas that are a little bit more uh, task oriented, a little bit more hands on. But yeah, you should be open to just about anything uh, because you never know where not only your passion is, but where your abilities are, where your interests are. 
And it's like everybody says, or lots of people say, if you can get up every morning and enjoy what you're doing, then it doesn't seem like work. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it may take like you and me, although I was in education, I moved around from different schools. I moved around in different positions. I tried different things. You tried, you know, various careers and it, and it does, it just keeps building on it. So I think that openness, um, on the one hand, it can be very unsettling for some kids who say, oh, I just want to be a lawyer and that's it. I want to make a lot of money and I want to retire when I'm 60. Well, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, but open your mind to the various opportunities that being a lawyer or being a doctor offers. Um, and I think that's just good common sense, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So last question, which I'm, I'm kind of surprised that we're here already. I know. Conversation. <laughs> um, what one piece of advice, advice would you have for your 18-year-old self if he was standing right in front of you? Don't be in a hurry. Uh, and I think it goes back to that notion that life is a marathon, uh, education is a marathon and not a sprint. Uh, far too many of us, and I keep, you know, I keep saying this maybe ad nauseum, but applying and going to Western for Ivy business doesn't mean that that's what you're going to end up doing for the rest of your life. And also not getting into Queens Commerce or Ivy Business or healthcare, what have you, at, at McGill, doesn't define you as a person. It means that that year there was an applicant pool that, that didn't favor you for whatever reason. And sometimes there's no rhyme nor reason. Schools will tell you what they tell you publicly. But behind the scenes, there's all sorts of things that they consider. It's not just Marx-based, even when they say it's Marx-based, you know, uh, they try to give equal opportunity to lots of different communities. So there's lots of things going on. It does not define you. Just like getting into those programs doesn't define you, not getting into those programs doesn't mean your life is over. The number of kids I know who said they had to get into that program or their life was over, they get there, Two months into it, they decide this is not where I want to be. Uh, and then if, if you've defined yourself by that, then the process becomes even more limiting and more, more difficult. My own daughter decided she was going to go to Western for Ivy. So she applied, she got in, she got in everywhere she applied to, decided Ivy was the case, got to Western, did first year business, absolutely hated it, and her whole trajectory changed. Now, she wasn't completely committed to being, you know, Ivy or bust, but so many kids are. And if that's what you've set your sights on and it doesn't work out, you, you, you may deem yourself as a bit of a failure. Well, you're not a failure. You're just taking a different route to get to, as you say, to happiness or ability or whatever it is you're looking for. But defining yourself in grade nine or, or when you're 17, I mean, we ask kids, it's crazy. We ask them to select courses in grade nine that will help them to get into a university in four years or even in grade 11 and grade 12 to get them into a program that once they get there, the school might not be right. The profs might not be right. Wow. You know, yes, you might be interested in chemical engineering, but then you get into a chemical engineering class and you go, this is so boring. Uh, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. Or you get into law school and you say, oh my God, I can't do this for the rest of my life. And if you've set yourself up for that, 
then the process of looking around becomes more difficult because you're thinking again, you're thinking of yourself as somehow you've stumbled. You haven't stumbled. You've just reorganized, regrouped, and you're going in a direct, different direction. So I, I think that to me is, is most important. Don't define yourself in grade 12. Don't assume that this is the end of the process. Really getting into university is the beginning of the process. And it will take many different twists and turns along the way, many different iterations. And I know people who are my age who still haven't found what they're looking for. And that's okay. Um, you know, I'd hate to say if you're 80 or 90 and you haven't found your, your, your passion, but you know, when you're in your 40s and your 50s and you decide to change path, it's not necessarily a midlife crisis, it's just a change. And I think, you know, as difficult as change is, I think it's important. I think in this world that we live in, where things change on a dime and what's big today is not big, even in the next 10 minutes, things have changed. Uh, and I think we just have to understand that that's the reality of the world we live in. So that's the sort of advice I would give my my young self, my 18 year old self. Yeah, yeah. You you uh, raise an interesting uh, memory that I have of university. My second year history teacher handing back our essays um, said one day this paper and the grade that's attached to this paper is not a determination of your self-worth as a human being. And I really remembered that because I used to work so hard for my, my papers and submitting my essays. And if it wasn't the grade that I expected, I, I, I would take it personally. Sure. And I think it's so true that, you know, things change and you might make all these plans. And then once you get to that spot, whether it be, you know, an engineering degree or going to law school, you might get there and then realize like, you know what, like this just isn't for me and that's okay. It's not considered a failure. It's just realizing that, you know, this wasn't for me. And, and you're right. Like, you know, when that paper came back and, you know, when those grades weren't exactly what I thought they would be, that's not failure. That's, that's a learning opportunity really. And, you know, you take um, the lessons that you learned from that and then you, you move forward. So I couldn't agree more with, with well, what you're saying. Well, exactly. I mean, I, I speak to kids now and they come back and they're in first year and they're getting seventies and eighties. And I say, well, you know what, you shouldn't be getting a hundred in first year Latin or first year English. You've mm -hmm. gone off to learn and you're learning at a different level. And, you know, it was great that you got 95 in grade 12 English, but chances are uh, they're asking for a slightly different skill set. They're asking for a, a more in depth look at what you're doing. So you shouldn't be getting those top marks right off the bat. And on the other hand, too, if you are getting those marks, but there's no passion, uh, if, you're, if you're breezing through, getting 95s and 100s, but you're not enjoying it, step back and say, maybe it's time to, to look at a slightly, maybe this is a passion I have, but it's not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just understanding that you're right, it's a learning curve. And I, I, I felt the same way. I got a 50, I think, on my first assignment in first year English. And here I was coming out of a, a good high school in Toronto. English was always my best mark. And somehow 
This diminished everything I had done in my life up until that point because this professor didn't realize that I was this articulate English genius, um, you know, a protege. And yet, looking back now, of course I didn't know anything. I had done well, I had built my career from grade nine to grade 12, and I had done well, but here was the beginning of a new process and a new journey. And so of course I'm gonna start a little bit down a few pegs. And that's, you know, I came to university to learn, not to be told I knew everything already. Yeah, I got 65 my first essay. So, so you did 15% 15 per, 15 better than me. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny how we remember that it we, like, you know, that is a, a moment that you do remember. And uh, it's a learning opportunity. It really is. Yeah. And I, and I think that's something that's changed, you know, this whole idea of failure and fail first, first uh, opportunity or first attempt in learning. That's what fail apparently stands for now. Right. And it's not like you're going to fail along the way all the time, but you are going to at some point misstep you're gonna fail a test or an exam's not to, going to go well. And you have to step back and say, okay, why? What do I take away from this? How do I do better next time? Mm -hmm. And I think if that's the, the objective and that's the understanding, you'll always be a lifelong learner because everything you do, you look at a guy like Thomas Edison who apparently failed 900 times before he invented the light bulb. Mm -hmm. And he said, I learned 900 different things when I failed along the way, and I finally got there. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. We're in the we're in a, a journey now of startups. Well, for every uh, Amazon or Tesla that you hear about, there's millions of startups that you never hear about, mm -hmm. and some of them are by the same people who started Tesla and Amazon. Uh, you hear about the successes, you don't necessarily hear about the failures, but they tweak and they iterate and they come up with the next version of it. And that's the way we should be. We should tweak, we should adjust and look at the new iteration of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today and, and talk about this. I think it's something that you and I are both very passionate about, and I think we could do many more episodes <laughs> having this yeah. conversation, but I do really appreciate you taking the time to, to record this episode with me. So thank you. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. It was a pleasure. And yes, we can do many, many more if you would like, uh, and have a great day. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you.